John chapter 3, you got your Bibles? <clears throat> My voice already hurts and I haven't even started preaching. We'll get to it here. Uh, last week we looked at Nicodemus. We looked at you must be born again, the call of Jesus on his life, like that he, like all men, must be born again of the Spirit of God. Right? It's new birth. It's new life by the Spirit. Salvation has to come by the Spirit. It is not of the will of man, as it says in John chapter 1, verse 13, as we read a few weeks ago. It's not just willpower. A lot of times I think that um, when we think about our walk with God, you're like, I just need to do better. I just need to be better. Just, I need to muster up more willpower. And your salvation, I just want to remind you, is not just not sinning, Okay? It's not just not sinning. Am I saying that right? It's not just not doing more right things and doing less bad things. But salvation is a heart thing. Salvation is a new nature thing. It is a thing by the Holy Spirit of God. It's not just mere behavior. How many of you still struggle with behavior at times? Right? I do. Honestly. I do. I struggle to do the right thing sometimes. So did Paul. I think he expresses that beautiful struggle very well, right? Romans. Sometimes I do the things I don't want to do. Sometimes I can't do the things that I want to do. But there's this new nature that is being made by the Spirit of God, reborn, birthed by the Spirit of God to new life. Last week we talked about how it's not a new or better religion. It's not a new or better version of your current uh, fleshly state. It reminded us that Nicodemus was better than us. He had a better religion than us. He was more pious and religious than us. He kept better rules. He attended synagogue more than we attend church. He knew scripture better than we know scripture. But yet Jesus looked at him and said, you must be born again. We also talked about how it's not merely acknowledging the power of God or the, the Spirit of God, but it is inviting him to make us new. It's having that power within us, right? Nicodemus looked at Jesus. He said, we know that you are a teacher that comes from God because no one can do what you do unless God is with him. He acknowledged it, but yet Jesus said, you have to have that supernatural work in you. Your salvation if you're a Christian, it's something miraculous. It's a miracle of God. It's not just you coming to some mental ascent of some new philosophy, a new way of living. But there is a supernatural change that has happened in your heart by the Spirit of God. It's a miracle. It's the same miracle as a dead man, as Lazarus being raised to new life. That's you and your salvation. And so many times we just think of this stuff as mere metaphor and it loses its power and impact. The Spirit of God, like the wind, it says, mysteriously blows over the hearts of those that God is choosing. Verse 6 of John chapter 3, let's read that. We read that last week. That which, of born, that which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I say to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound. But you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Right? There's this mysterious nature of the Holy Spirit blowing over hearts, awakening, opening eyes to the beauty of Christ, to the truthfulness of who Christ is. The Greek word for spirit, many of you know this, probably know this, that is pneuma. 
right? It's actually the same word that is used for wind in the New Testament scriptures, right? So wind and spirit used as the same base Greek word. It's the same word that we get uh, used for some of our uh, modern words like pneumonia, right? Ever had pneumonia? It's a, it's a uh, respiratory, a, a thing that affects our breathing in our lungs. It's an illness that affects our, our capacity for air. Um, also, we use it for the things like uh, pneumatic tools. Any of you garage guys out here, right? Got a set of pneumatic tools, right? Air-powered tools. And so the wind blows where it wishes. We see its effects. We don't know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Actually, Acts 2, um, when the coming of the Holy Spirit, right, comes in like a mighty rushing wind. All that were filled with the Holy Spirit, that, that there again is that word pneuma. It takes me back to the Garden of Eden. When I look at the Garden of Eden, when I look at the, the creation of man, there's Adam formed from the dust of the earth, and then God does What? He breathes into him the breath of life, right? That's the, one of the earliest pictures, if not the earliest pictures of the gospel as God himself breathes the breath of life, not just physical life, not just natural life, but breathes into him the breath of life. The Holy Spirit breathes life into his church, the new life, the new birth, not just the flesh that will eventually die, but new life by the Spirit that is eternal. So let's read our text once again today. John chapter 3. Let's start in verse 9. We'll read through 16. Probably some very familiar verses in here to us. It says this, Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? Jesus answered him, Are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, But you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended to heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Let's pray before we move on, okay? Father, again, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your Holy Spirit alive in your church. God, again, today, I pray for change. God, all I can do is scatter seed. All any of us can do is just faithfully scatter seed. And then we have to pray for rain. And we have to pray for the wind to blow. Because salvation comes only through you. Not through wise or persuasive speech. Not through eloquent words. Just a demonstration of the Spirit's power. So God, let your Holy Spirit move today and change our hearts to the glory of your name. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> so Nicodemus, he's this Pharisee. We talked about him quite a bit last week. He's a ruler of the Jews, and for some reason, he lacks understanding. Where we picked up in our text here today, he says, how can these things be? And Jesus answers him and says, are you the teacher of Israel, yet you don't get it? You don't understand these things? It was a little bit baffling because he knew the scriptures as we talked about last week. He understood, he studied the scriptures, he taught the scriptures, he knew them intimately. So much so that they would debate the scriptures all the time and they could quote 
vast swaths of Scripture, vast passages of Scripture. They could just rattle them off because they've committed them to memory. They've put them in their hearts. And like I said, he had a religion that was better than us, that was better than you. He was really good at the stuff. He was good at giving. He was good at praying. He was good at reading Scripture. He was good at fasting. And unfortunately, a lot of the times the Pharisees, they did all these things for recognition. They did all these things. They, they had their status and their prestige, and they did all of these holy and pious things for a pat on the back for man. I shared some scriptures with you last week from Matthew chapter 23 about uh, in, the, in that passage of the seven woes where Jesus looks at him and says, Woe to you, fra- uh, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites. He calls them hypocrites, and then he calls them blind. He calls them blind guides. And so today I want to read just a little bit more of that, just a, f- a few verses down from what we read last week. In verse 25 it says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees. Right? Woe. When you say woe to somebody, it's distress. It's deep grief. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. For you clean the outside of the cup, and the plate, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisees, there it is again, first clean the inside of the cup that the outside also may be clean. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you, like, you are like whitewashed tombs, which are outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. So you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. That Pharisee mindset, that Pharisee heart, the outside looks beautiful, the outside looks pristine, the outside looks great, but the inside is putrid. The inside is vile. The inside is rotten flesh. We have to be careful in our doing and our living in our churchianity, it's just a made-up word, in our religiosity, that we are not just wrapping something up and not concerned about the heart, uh, about the inside of us, right? The inside of man, out of the heart flows all of this stuff. We talked about it last week. Out of the heart of man flows all of this sin, all this wickedness. It is inside of us. And so what we do is we try to be better and we fall on our face. We try to be better. We try to do the right things and we fall on our face. And so since we struggle so bad, what we do is we wrap it up in a nice, pristine little church package. And a good church smile and some good church clothes. I was wearing a jacket earlier. That felt like real church clothes to me. Um, a sport coat. Um, we wrap it up in this nice little package where we look great on the outside that we have it all together, but inside we can be vile and gross and disgusting. And here's the, here's the thing. In our flesh, in our own state, in our own efforts, we can never clean the inside. I can't do it. It must be a work of the Spirit of God. We must be born again, made new, cleansed, washed by the Spirit of God. You and I can't do it in our own. So here, Nicodemus, 
knowing the scriptures but lacking understanding, he says to him, how can these things be? Verse 9, verse 10, it says, Jesus answered, are you the teacher of Israel, yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. He is blind. Nicodemus is blind. He's one of those blind Pharisees, and it's a literal spiritual blindness, like we all were. And some of us in this room still may be today, sadly, and we hope and pray that that changes by the power of the Holy Spirit. Just because sometimes we grasp at metaphors like blindness to attempt uh, to describe our spiritual state, please don't dismiss the absolute reality of that state. Right? We're talking about spiritual matters, and a lot of times we use um, some of these metaphors like being lost and blind and dead because that's what Scripture describes them, trying to create a picture of an absolute reality. Sometimes I think because it's metaphor, it doesn't grab us with the true weight and true reality that it is. We just think it's make-believe or it's pretend or it's just metaphoric. But it's the absolute state of the heart of man. That's how the Bible describes us, the absolute truth of God's word. That's how the scriptures describe us, as lost, as blind, and dead. And even in that, when I say God's word, do you believe that the Bible, that this book that you hold in your hands, do you believe that this is God's word? That if that in and of itself is not just a metaphor for a good book of good advice for daily Christian living? It's not that. This is God's word revealing to us himself, his nature, his likeness, revealing to us Jesus, his person, if we don't believe that this is God's infallible word, if we don't believe it, we will pick and choose what we want to believe that's inside of those covers, inside of those pages. We'll pick and choose what we believe. We'll create a false God, still named God, still named Jesus, but it's a version that is most comfortable with us, and it's very dangerous. We call it God's word because it is God's word, which means that it's everything. We must humble ourselves before his word daily, not just treat it as some metaphor, but treat it as the very words of God. 2 Timothy 3.16 reminds us, all scriptures inspired, some versions say, God breathed. There it is again. We talk about the breath of the Holy Spirit. God breathed, profitable for instruction, for correction, for righteousness. We've got to get salvation right, which means our salvation needs to come by the word of God. The hearing of the word of God, to hear the gospel story, and it's the story that's been from the very beginning. A lot of times, we have an understanding of salvation, or we have what we think about salvation, and it might not line up completely with the word of God. In our community group training, a lot around here, um, stuff that I've done in the past, I always encourage our leaders to, to, to shy away from the I feels and I, the I thinks. When you get a group of people together and you start talking about things, things get real soft and squishy real quick. Like truth all of a sudden is like, uh, it gets squishy. It's not as rock solid as it needs to be or should be. Well, well what I think is and what I feel is and, and whatever, and then I, my, 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 my uh, home run of advice that I would give to our community group leaders was, 
Okay, when somebody says that, just go, that's awesome, but what does the Bible say? <laughs> right? You feel this, you think this, but what does Scripture say about everything, including the very nuts and bolts of salvation? The Gospel writer, John, he records these conversations for us, and what we're seeing here is the beautiful gospel poured out and displayed, but it's the same story that is not unique in the New Testament nor in all of Scripture, right? Because when you look through all of Scripture, you see the gospel story, the good news of salvation, the good news of Jesus in all of it. It radiates through all of the text. It radiates through even the Old Testament scriptures. You have picture upon picture of redemption that comes through God. You have picture upon picture of rescue that comes through God. You have these beautiful historical accounts of God rescuing his people that ultimately points to Jesus. He's come to save. He's come to redeem. And now here standing before Nicodemus, hopefully receiving some understanding, hopefully receiving some clarity that the gospel story that he has read about in all of those Old Testament scriptures that he has poured over has been pointing to him. To him, to all who would receive him, to all that would have their eyes open to look upon him and simply believe the scriptures call us to believe in him. The scriptures call us to turn from our sin and to believe in Jesus. That is the simplicity and the beauty of the new birth and salvation. That we would have our eyes open to behold Christ as Lord. That he would compel us and enable us to believe. See, each one of us is in desperate need of salvation. We are in desperate need. The consequences are grave and they're eternal. And so we must understand that our salvation comes through Jesus Christ alone and that it is simply looking upon him and putting your faith and trust, your belief in him. It's the good news of the gospel. And it's this uh, situation that is kind of a good news, bad news kind of thing. Right? Do you ever have anybody come up to you and say, I've got some good news and I've got some bad news? Right? And the good news is sweeter because usually you have to deliver the bad news first, right? That's the way to deliver that news. You don't start with the good news. You always start with the bad news. Um, my wife said that to me yesterday, and I got the story wrong for a service. I should pay attention more. I should pay attention more because my wife pointed it out because she was in first service. She's like, no, you had that wrong. So I lied to everybody in first service. Not intentionally, but uh, accidentally. But my wife came up to me. She's like, I've got good news and bad news. And it was about the food last night for our welcome dinner, just so you know. Everything was great. Everything was cooked perfectly. It was beautiful, and it was delicious. But she was giving me an update on where things were. I've got some good news. This one's about done. This is good. Got some bad news. This one still needs more time or whatever it was. And uh, she delivered that news, and she delivered the bad news first because that's how you deliver news. Bad news first. And the gospel is good news, but it also points out the bad news, right? It points out our old sinful state. That the bad news is, is that we are sinners. We are not righteous and we are not good. Romans 3, verse 10 through 12, it says, As it is written, okay, he's quoting Psalm 14 here. No one is righteous, no, not one. No one understands. Sounds like Nicodemus. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together have become worthless. No one does good, no, not one. When the Bible says no one, it means no one. 
Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. When the Bible says all, it means all. So sin entered through Adam and Eve in the garden. And sin then pollutes everything. Sickness and death enter the world and everything becomes polluted. Every relationship, every uh, nuance in our marriage, we notice it, we feel it. Selfishness, depravity. We see sin manifested and sometimes in response to that sin, we feel justified in our own sin. Right? When we experience hurt and pain or we see sin manifest towards us, then we respond in our flesh. We respond in sin and we feel justified. But no, it's just sin. It's pretty bad news. Because the wages of that sin is what? Death. The cost, the price. But there's really good news. That Jesus came and died satisfied sin and death and hell and the grave. Just not, not just the, the acts of sin that we commit, the actions of sin, the sinful things that we do, but we're talking about our nature. Like Psalm 51.5 reminds us that our, our, we were brought forth in iniquity, David says, and in my sin did my mother conceive me, right? Sin is ingrained in our being. It is in our nature, and sin is ingrained then in our doing, a lot of times we equate it with just the stuff we do, but it is actually in our nature, thus the need to be born again, to be made new, a new creation, a new creature. Because we're not able to do what is right. Heck, we're not even able to see our sin unless the Spirit is at work in us. In order to do what is right, we need to be made right. We need to be born again. One of my favorite passages in all of Scripture, many of you know this, is Ephesians chapter 2. And I love it because it gives us the bad news and it gives us the good news. Verse 1, it says, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. It's pretty bad news. Following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature... Nature, nature, children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. It's pretty bad news. And then the best news ever comes in verse 4. But God. <laughs> but God. But God, because you were awesome, and because you were holy, and because you had this perfect religion, because you did everything. No, it doesn't say any of that, right? You know, I'm lying to you. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love in which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, even when we didn't deserve it, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you've been saved. There's the new life. There's the good news. And he raised us up with him and seated us, seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. The bad news and the good news coming together in one beautiful passage. In order to receive new life, we must have the wind of the Holy Spirit blow over us and give us new birth, new life to be born again. In order for us to finally understand, to have our eyes open, we must look upon Christ as the Spirit enables us and receive him, to believe in him as our Lord and Savior. 
So when I look at Nicodemus and I look at my own helpless estate, my own lack of understanding at one time in my life, I am so glad. Aren't you so glad that God didn't just shrug his shoulders? He looked down on you in your helpless estate, and he did. That's one of my favorite songs, by the way. It is well with my soul. That Christ has regarded my helpless estate and has shed his own blood for my soul. He didn't just shrug his shoulders, but he did something about it. And when you read our text today, you see in this beautiful interaction between Jesus and Nicodemus just what he did. Verse 9 again says, How can these things be? Jesus answered, Are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you don't understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know, we bear witness of what we have seen, but you don't receive our testimony. If I've told you earthly things and you don't believe them, how am I going to tell you heavenly things? Okay, and then he... this. It feels a little weird, a little off, a little disjointed maybe. But when you read it in its context and you see it in light of verse 16, that familiar verse, it, it all comes together beautifully. No one has ascended to heaven except the one who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him will have eternal life. See, Nicodemus wasn't understanding. So Jesus pointed to the scriptures that Nicodemus loved, that Nicodemus poured over, that Nicodemus knew very well. And he pointed to those scriptures and he gave them the real meaning of that story about Moses and the snakes. Numbers chapter 21, verse 4. Here's the story. From Mount Hor, they send out by way of the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom, and the people became impatient on the way. And the people spoke against God and against Moses, Why have you brought us out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there's no food, no water, and we loathe this worthless food. Okay? Stinking Israelites being stinking Israelites. Right? We always point at them. We always go, How could you? How could you like turn your back on God so quick when he did such awesome things in front of you. How could you forget? We're the same. We're the same stinking Israelites. I forget all the time. They speak against God foolishly, not trusting him, full of selfishness, full of rebellion, and it's typical of you and me. Verse 6, Then the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people so that many people of Israel died. And the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned, for we have spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord. Okay, they come to their senses. They repent. Pray to the Lord that he would take away the serpents from us. So Moses prayed for the people, and the Lord said to Moses, Make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole, and everyone who is bitten, when he sees it, shall live. So Moses made a bronze serpent, set it on a pole, and if the serpent bit anyone, he will look at the bronze serpent and live. Jesus is looking at Nicodemus and he starts to tell him that story because he's trying to give him some understanding. Verse 12, If I have given you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one ascended to heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And and as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Numbers chapter 21. It's the gospel. It's the gospel. It's the gospel in one of the most boring books of the Bible. 
right? Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, those are the ones that we always skip. Those are the ones that we always struggle through. But in it, we see this beautiful gospel picture of the Son of Man, of Jesus being lifted up, that whoever would look upon him and believe will have eternal life. See, we've been bitten by the venom of sin. We're ungrateful, we're selfish, we're foolish, and rebellious. We're feeling the effects of the venom of sin course through our being and course through our relationships. And foolishly, we think it's an earthly thing. We think it's a natural thing. We think that we can just figure it out in our own power and our own strength. And we can't understand it. It's a heavenly thing. It's a spiritual thing. And praise be to God, he doesn't simply just shrug his shoulders. Jesus is talking to Nicodemus and he's saying, you blind Pharisee, look. See, the bronze serpent is me. Look, have your eyes opened by the Spirit and see. You don't understand. You don't get it right now. But I didn't just shrug my shoulders and let you struggle. The Son of Man, okay, in all of your attempts to know the Scriptures, it's like you're trying to ascend to something. It's like you're trying to ascend and get there to heaven. But it doesn't work that way. You must be born of the Spirit. And to have your eyes open, to have you understand, I didn't just shrug my shoulders. What I did is I left an exalted throne. I left an exalted position in heaven. I came down. I descended. I came to earth put on flesh, and walk this life and experience everything you experience. I can sympathize with every pain, with every hurt, with all the effects of the venom of sin. Although he lived without sin, he still experienced all the pain, the hurt, the venom of sin. He did it because he loved Nicodemus. He came down to have his eyes open to the beauty of the gospel that was written way back in that boring book of Numbers. That you would see and understand my spirit is at work, that your eyes would be open, that you would look upon me for your salvation, and I will take away the venom of sin and the sting of death that comes with it. My God, my Father, loves you so much that he sent me that if you look upon me and believe, you will have eternal life and you will be saved. He tells Nicodemus, you must be born of spirit. You must look upon me and believe, trusting Jesus as Lord, as Savior with everything in him. It's the same call for you and me. We can't do it. We cannot ascend to God. In our own flesh, in our own um, will, determination, we'll never do it. We cannot accomplish spiritual things in our flesh. We must be born of the Spirit. You ever wonder what happened to Nicodemus? In chapter 3, John, the gospel writer, doesn't give us all the story. It's kind of a cliffhanger. But there's a good indication later in this book that Nicodemus did believe. John chapter 19, verse 38. Okay, this is after Jesus is crucified. 
This is as he's being buried. After these things, Joseph of Arimathea, who was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus, and Pilate gave him permission, okay? So he took, uh, came and took his body. Verse 39, And Nicodemus also, who earlier had come to Jesus by night, came, and bring him, uh, came bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds in weight. So they took the body of Jesus and mounted it in linen cloths with spices as the burial customs of the Jews. Here's Nicodemus later helping care for the body of the one who called him. Having come and care for the body for the one who loved him enough to descend, to come down, to help open his eyes and to say, listen, your religion is worthless. You must be born of spirit. God so loved the world that he did it. God so loved Nicodemus, he did it. God so loves you and today again declares you must be born again. He loved you so much that he left an exalted throne. He put on flesh, right? It's a whole Christmas story. He walked this life sinlessly that becomes our righteousness. He showed us the way the truth, the eternal life that is found only in him. Nicodemus didn't understand. We don't understand. So God came down and made us new by his spirit to open our eyes so that we would understand and believe. Today in this place, have you been born again? Born of the spirit of God? Have you put your faith, your hope, and trust in him? Do you believe? Today, like Jesus like Moses, I implore you, look upon Jesus and believe. And you too will have eternal life. It's that simple. Believe on him. Turn your back on your sin. Turn, it back, turn your back on your religion. Turn it back on your efforts and trust everything that Christ did for you. As we conclude, as the band comes, I'm going to pray. And uh, so let's bow our heads and close your eyes today. Jesus, we do love you and thank you and we praise you that you paid it all, that you did it all, that it is all finished and complete in you. Help us believe. Help us in our living show that there is a belief that goes beyond words. That there's a confession of our life that Jesus is Lord, not just in our words, but in our doing and in our living. God, that we be followers of you, disciples of you. Because you loved us so much, God, let us love you in return. Let us worship you in return. Maybe there's some of you in this room today and, and maybe as I've hopefully shared God's word with you, maybe you know that you need salvation in Christ. Maybe you know that the Holy Spirit is speaking to you today and maybe you know that you need to be born again, that you'd like to make that commitment that I believe, that I put my faith in Jesus and I need eternal life in him. Maybe you just make that declaration today and I'd love to pray for you. If you wouldn't mind, please look up and catch my eye so I can pray for you as well. Just to acknowledge that, that that is between you and Jesus right now. Just look up and catch my eye and I'd love to pray for you. 
Awesome. Thanks, guys. Praise God. Praise God. Father, I pray for my friends here today. God, I pray that you would continue to move in them by the power of your Holy Spirit, that you would make them new, do the work that only you can do, that you would make them new, that you would make them hunger and thirst for righteousness, that they would see the worthlessness of the sin of this world, that they'd see the matchless worth of Jesus, that they would behold you, Christ, that they would follow they would believe and have eternal life. I thank you for their declaration today. God, I pray that you would answer that prayer. Father, for the rest of my brothers and sisters in this room as well, God, as we navigate this life, Father, I pray that the good news would forever be on our hearts. God, that we would understand who we are in you because of your work, that it is not our own righteousness or our own work, our own merits that affords us anything, but it is all what you have done, Jesus. That you have purchased us with with your blood, that you have made us your own, that you have adopted us in as children of God, and now we have this beautiful inheritance of eternal life. And so, God, in light of that, let us worship you. Not just in song and in words, but God, let us worship you with a life that is surrendered over to you. Let us worship you in the way that we present and share the gospel, the way that we spread seeds of the gospel and and pray for rain, the way that we share seeds of the gospel and, and hope for a harvest of eternal life in our family and our friends. Let us live on mission to the glory of Christ Jesus. God, I thank you for your word again. Let it rest heavy on us this week. Continue to shape us and change us and make us more like you. Sanctify us, O oh God. Wash over us with your word. We love you. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's sing together before we go. And I would just encourage you, okay? This is not that time for us to get like all antsy and fidgety and want to leave. <laughs> Although you might have things in your mind. Like, spend time here responding to the word of God. Spend time responding to the Holy Spirit of God. At some point, Nate will dismiss us and maybe we'll play for a little bit more, but spend time responding to the word of God today. Let's stand and sing together.